Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. Give me 90 minutes. I'm going to give you the world, and our broadcast partners will come to this broadcast table with information about the headlines, details actually behind the headlines around the world, these headlines giving us the idea that the prophetic scenario found in God's Word may well be close at hand. We'll see that that is the case when we talk with these men, and they tell us all the details behind these headlines. I'm going to have Ken Timmerman in just a moment talk to us about geopolitical activities, and then we'll go to other parts of the world. We'll go to the Middle East with David Dolan. David Wilder is in Hebron. That's the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world. There's a report out of Israel, the Israeli government saying now there are more Jews in Israel than even in the United States. John Rood gives us a European Union update. Jim Jr. will join us at the broadcast table with a question from one of our listeners, Prophecy Q&A time. You can participate. Send us your question at prophecytoday.com. And then David James, we're going to be talking about abortion. That will be our focus. A brand new movie being made in New Orleans. There's a lot of conflict going on. We'll have all the information from David James. But uh, I want to also remind you that I will be at Bayside. Love to have you come. Only going to be two services. They'll be the same as far as my preaching is concerned. I don't need a new message, simply a new crowd. So we'll have one crowd at 9 a.m., the other at 11.15. Love to have you come study the prophetic word of God. We'll be talking about presidents, politics, and prophecy. Bayside Baptist Church. Harrison, Tennessee. Now let's go to Ken, and we're going to talk to him about a number of items. Ken, last week we had a conversation about the Vladimir Putin-Donald Trump summit that's going to take place the middle of the month of July, I believe it's the 16th. But now word coming out of Israel that five days before Putin meets with Trump, Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, is going to meet with the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. What is Putin trying to do, get all of his ducks in a row before he meets the big man? Well, I think it's Netanyahu is trying to make sure he gets his word in before <laughs> yeah. uh, Putin meets with Trump. Look, the relationship, the personal relationship between Benjamin Netanyahu and Vladimir Putin is very deep and very strong. They have become good friends over the years. Remember, Netanyahu went to Moscow just hours before launching air raids against Iranian targets in Syria. He seems to keep Putin in the loop before the Israeli Air Force or other forces engage in aggressive activities uh, in Syria or elsewhere. And I think that Putin appreciates that. Those two have a very close relationship, and I think Netanyahu wants to remind him that Iran should be on the top of the agenda of Putin's talks with President Trump. And I think that's, in fact, what's going to happen. The two have got to talk about Iran. It's got to be front and center in the U.S.-Russian dialogue. The United States would like to see Russia become more cooperative on Iran to curtail some of the dangerous arms sales to Iran to help the United States to put more pressure or, at the very least, 
if they don't go along with new sanctions, which I don't think Russia will, at the very least not to circumvent them and to allow the Iranians an escape valve, either through finance, banks in Cyprus or in other offshore uh, locations controlled by Russians, or other access to the international financial markets, which the Americans intend to cut off uh, starting on August 6th. So I think there's an awful lot to talk about. And Netanyahu is going to Moscow to make sure to make sure that Iran is the subject uh, number one of that summit meeting between Trump and Putin. I would agree with you, Ken. That most likely will be the agenda. But Vladimir Putin is not only meeting with President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu. Even before he gets to Trump, Jordanian King Abdullah is to hold talks in Russia over what's happening in the southeastern part of Syria. That's where everything in this civil war started seven years ago. And now there's a group of Syrians who are trying to make way out of Syria into Jordan. Uh, The king is very much concerned about that. That's going to be another important meeting. Would you not agree? Well, that's right. And the Jordanians are very concerned. They already host something like 650,000 Syrian refugees, and they've seen an influx of another 150,000 just recently from this uh, southwestern portion of Syria. So they would really like to find a solution so many of those recent, the most recent refugees can go home. And I think that that has really been the subject of talks between the Jordanian government and the Russian government, and again, this, this summit meeting as well. The Jordanians are hoping the Russians will help broker a ceasefire in that part of Syria that will become durable. In other words, where there's at least some kind of civil peace on the ground, most likely enforced by the Syrian regime with Russian backing, so the refugees or some of these refugees can return. The Jordanians don't want to be overwhelmed by this new, newest wave of Syrian refugees, and that's why they're in Moscow. And for sure... Iran is going to be on the agenda for all three meetings, Trump, King Abdullah, and Prime Minister Netanyahu. However, at this point in time, Russia is putting forth the information that a complete pullout from Iran out of Syria is totally unrealistic. Is Iran actually really going to say they are there to stay? Well, what's interesting here is that Putin is, again, trying to make Russia a central player in the Middle East, in this case a peace broker or an honest broker between the United States and Iran or Israel and Iran. So they're defending the Iranians at the same time they uh, champion the causes or at least they explain the causes of Israel and the United States to the Iranians. It's very interesting to see Russia playing a mediator's role rather than a troublemaker's role. I think this is rather new in geopolitics. It's a very positive sign, and it shows a a great deal of um, subtlety, I think, on the part of Vladimir Putin and of his foreign minister, Lavrov. You know, uh, let's change the focus just a bit from Iran and from Russia and from the president, the king, and the prime minister, focusing just a moment on Turkey with the change uh, that was made, giving full power to Tayyip Erdogan there in Turkey. He's almost got absolute authority in that land, in that nation. But uh, I sent you an article that was entitled, 
why Turkey will not be another Iran. Now, if you're able to peruse it, tell me, but what are your thoughts? I'm not caring so much what the author of the article said. What are your thoughts? It was a very interesting piece by Amir Tahiri, who is somebody I know pretty well, an Iranian exile. He worked for the Shah in the 1970s in the, in the media business, and he's very smart, and he's, he writes for the New York Post, among others. And he's got a great analytical view, and, and what he was trying to do was to compare how bad Iran became under Khomeini with how Turkey has become under Erdogan, and to contrast the two. And there are, of course, terrific contrasts. The Iranian regime massacred at least 40,000, probably upwards of 150,000, executed 150,000 of its own people. Erdogan hasn't done that. Thousands have been killed, but not over 100,000. Erdogan has actually banned the death penalty. There are many, many differences between the Islamic State of Iran today and the Islamist state in Turkey. Uh, And one of the most interesting, I think, is that Khomeini surrounded himself with clerics, albeit clerics who were beyond the pale. I had a conversation just recently with an Iranian friend who was brought up in an Ayatollah's family, and his family rejected Khomeini completely because he was beyond the pale of Shiite Islamic thought. Erdogan is not surrounded himself with clerics. Although he spouts Islamic doctrine and diatribes and and anti-Semitic filth against Israel uh, in particular, he hasn't surrounded himself with clerics, which is rather interesting. And his biggest political rival is, in fact, a cleric, Fethullah Gulen, who has been in exile, living in exile in the United States for a number of years. So, uh, yes, there are differences between Erdogan and Iran. He's not doing the things the same way. He's not doing the same things the same way the Muslim Brotherhood did in Egypt either. He's been in power for 15 years, gradually increasing his power. But I would argue that Erdogan is now, as you mentioned in, in, in your question, he has now become pretty much an dictator, the dictator of Turkey. Uh, certainly it's an authoritarian system. It's a one-man state. He controls the military, the judiciary, the education system, the banks, you name it. And I think that's extremely dangerous. He wants to reinstall, bring back the Islamic Caliphate. And I think this is very dangerous. Turkey is not a an ally, I believe, to us in NATO any longer. And I think there are really consequences to Erdogan's actions that we haven't seen yet be imposed by the United States and our NATO allies. And I can tell you for sure, having been a student of the prophetic word of God for a number of years, Turkey plays a key role in the end-time events that will unfold. One of the reasons that we bring Ken Timmerman to this broadcast table for the purpose of helping us watch all of these states out there forming somewhat of an alliance to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Quick word, what about your book? When does it come out? ISIS Begins will be out, released this coming week on July 10th. You can uh, find links at at my website, kentimmerman.com. Again, it's the story of uh, persecuted Christians in Iraq, uh, persecuted by Muslim terrorists uh, who later become ISIS. And this was the beginning of ISIS in Iraq, something which was entirely predictable. All of us who were following Iraq at the time could see it coming and could see the persecution of Christians developing and getting worse day by day. I got a copy of it in a PDF form, started to read it. It's great. You want to get a copy yourself. Hey, Ken, thank you for writing all the books with great information, but especially we thank you for appearing on our broadcast to give us the great insight you do. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. 
Always my pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break when we come back. It's a Middle East News update. David Dolan standing by. That's all ahead. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. In this few moments ahead, we're going to be talking to David Dolan. He has our Middle East News update. He comes to these microphones on a weekly basis to keep us aware of what is happening in, I would say, the most important region in all of the world as it relates to Bible prophecy. And, of course, David has been serving as a journalist over 35 years in that region. He knows all that's happening, how to explain it, what looks forward to the future as it relates to the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. But it is key for the Middle Eastern region, where David reports to us the details behind the headlines of what is happening. And I would say, David, this is a pretty big headline. There's an announcement that Vladimir Putin is ready to meet Benjamin Netanyahu five days before the summit that's going to take place between Trump, President Trump, and President Vladimir Putin. Now, that's interesting. Do you have any thoughts why they're doing this meeting between Putin and Netanyahu before they get together with uh, Putin and Trump? Well, Jimmy, from what I am hearing from my sources, it's uh, once again the fighting that's going on in uh, southwest Syria. The Russians have been literally carpet-bombing the town of Deraab, where the rebellion against the Assad regime began over seven years ago. 
325,000 refugees have fled their homes now, according to the latest U.N. report this week. Thousands are being killed, of course. Those refugees, Jimmy, again, are streaming up right to the Kenetra border with Israel, the Golan Heights border. They're camped along that. They're camped even more in larger numbers along the Jordanian border. And the rebels that control that area have controlled it until now, at least, were supported by the Jordanian government, and they still control the crossing point into Jordan. But Jordan closed that a couple of years ago and is not allowing most of these refugees to come in except for emergency medical needs. The same along the Golan border, only some are being let in, and some Christian ministries are actually up there ministering to them, Jimmy. But it's a very delicate, very bad situation, and the Israelis are looking at the possibility of warfare there that will involve them, and Russia's a key to that. So Netanyahu wants to get, I believe, and what I'm reading and hearing, a commitment from Vladimir Putin that once the region is taken back over by the Assad regime, no Iranian forces will be allowed there. Again, this has been uh, Netanyahu's uh, insistence all along. No Hezbollah forces will be allowed there. Actually, they're asking for a Russian force to possibly patrol the area, and that's what the Arab rebels are saying, too, Jimmy. There have been some talks going on between them and the Assad regime and the Russian government indirectly, and they're insisting that a Russian peacekeeping force come. But uh, that poses problems, too, for Israel. Do they want Russian forces right along their border, Jimmy? These are huge issues, and uh, I think Netanyahu wants to get a clear commitment from Putin, or at least a clear idea of what he's going to say to President Trump. And again, President Trump is very involved in this, Jimmy. It's not in the American news much, but they are monitoring at the Pentagon the situation extremely closely. Israeli media reports say 24-7 this week, American warplanes and Israeli warplanes have been flying over that Dara province area, or at least right along it. They've been monitoring all the fighting and all the movement and everything that's happening. They're very concerned about it, as they've said, and all this while we still have the tensions in the south and uh, the threat of more rockets from Hamas. So the region's very explosive, and that is certainly going to be the main topic on the agenda if that meeting takes place. Well, however, at the same time, David, Russia is releasing information that it's almost unrealistic to think that Iran will withdraw from Syria, which is one of the concerns for the Israelis. And of course, Prime Minister Netanyahu wanting that to be a part of the plan for the Middle East. I don't know if that's going to work out, is it? I don't think it is, but I do think that it will be a major topic. Again, I mentioned no Iranian troops down in the south, no Iranian forces along the borders. Well, that's their immediate concern in Jerusalem. But, of course, the longer concern is having Iranian forces there at all. The war's gone on over seven years, as I said. There's over 12 million refugees, over half a million people killed. This is a horrible, horrible war that's been brutal. Uh, There's no other way to put it. And people are just being slaughtered as we're speaking this moment, Jimmy. It breaks my heart because, you know, I worked in South Lebanon and I worked with some Syrians as well and uh, know some Christians from there, and it's just a terrible situation. But this is the strategic moment that the uh, Russians are going to have to decide what they're going to do here because if they won't push the Iranians 
out of Syria, and by that I mean force the Assad regime to do it. And again, Assad is completely in Putin's hands. He would not be in power today. He would have been overthrown by now had the Russians not intervened in 2015 in a massive military way that we see going on to this moment. He would be out of power. So whatever they ultimately say, what Putin says will go, and the Israelis will not give up on that demand that the Iranians leave the country. And if they don't, Jimmy, we'll have a full war. As we've been talking about, the Israelis are fully prepared for that. Forces in the north are on complete war alert, Jimmy. And as I said, they're keeping their jets, according to the media, all the time now, day and night, actively in the air, along with U.S. planes as well. So in a moment's notice, they could intervene in this thing if there were bombing into Israel or something else like that happened. So a very tense situation. Well, and to prove that, the Israeli Defense Force reinforcing their units in the Golan Heights with tanks and artillery. Uh, They're concerned they're going to be prepared, aren't they? They are, Jimmy. You know, everybody remembers the October disaster, the Yom Kippur war that began on their holiest day, and it began right there on the Golan Heights, and the Syrians surprised them, and there were many signs that it could happen, but the government dismissed them. Well, this time there's not just signs, there's heavy fighting going on literally two miles from the border, Jimmy. We're not talking about a huge area, as you know, you've been there. And uh, Deraa, this town that's being completely wiped out, is only 10 miles from the Jordanian border. So uh, the fighting has now come right down to these areas, and again, the Iranians are so involved, and, and Hezbollah everywhere, and again, the Hezbollah fighters can so easily blend in with the Syrians. Very difficult to tell who's coming in, so the Israelis have to be careful who they let in for medical care and that sort of thing. But it's breaking their hearts, too, Jimmy. I'm hearing from some friends who are in some NGOs there ministering to these people, and, you know, they see the slaughter happening, and there really isn't much they can do about it, and it's just uh, heartbreaking to them. But, again, a very tense situation. And the Golan residents, of course, are very aware, and uh, all Israeli residents are aware of the situation, and uh, people are prepared in case this blows up. And also, Jimmy, more Iron Dome systems have been moved to the south this week uh, near the Gaza Strip in anticipation of major rocket firings if indeed the north blows apart, that there'll be a two-front war. We've talked about this before, and they're all ready for that as well as much as they can be, but prayers are needed for sure. Absolutely. Israeli Defense Force busy at both borders, the northern and southern border of the state of Israel, and in the middle part of the state in Jerusalem, Palestinian leadership are saying that uh, Jerusalem as Israel's capital is incitement against them. They're going to have to deal with the Palestinians as well in the middle part of the state. Well, and they know that, and there's always ongoing, you know, operations. There's been several this week, and it's a real situation. But, Jimmy, uh, what can I say to Abbas and the Palestinian leadership? Not that they're listening to me at the moment, but if they happen to hear, is the God of Israel chose that city for the Jewish people 3,000 years ago. That's recorded in the Bible. There's archaeological evidence of it. They're returning. It's a fact. They're there. Their government is in Jerusalem. Their parliament is there. Their prime minister's house is there. Their president's residence is there. And, you know, it's just a fact whether they can share part of it 
in the future, you know, or maybe just the northern border or something in the eastern part of the city or whatever, that depends on them entirely. If they will live in peace with the Jewish state, then the Jews will live in peace with them. They've made that clear all along. But if they want to keep warring, what choice does Israel have but to fight back? There's a poll out. Most Israelis are saying they have little hope for the Trump peace plan. Well, or any peace plan, Jimmy. Again, this is going to war. War is going to decide whether Iran stays in Syria. War is going to decide whether Hamas continues in the Gaza Strip, etc. That's uh, sad to say, but it seems to be the case. No peace plan probably will work at this point in time, but according to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 9, there will be a peace when the Antichrist shows up, how be it a pseudo-peace. More on that when we take a look at the book in a moment. David, thank you so very much. You stay on top of everything there in the Middle East, and in particular in Israel. We so appreciate your knowledge, your background information. It's very important for us. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. I'm glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Wilder, he is in the second most important sacred city for the Jewish people, Hebron. It's the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world. We're going to be talking about there are more Jews in Israel now than there are in the United States. A conversation with David Wilder in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As I mentioned earlier, I am here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Soon after the broadcast is over, we'll go up and set up everything, our materials, for our meeting at the Bayside Baptist Church here in Chattanooga tomorrow. Now, there's only going to be, uh, it's going to be two services, but they're going to be the same message. I don't need a new message. I simply need a new crowd. And we'll have a crowd at 9 a.m. and then at 11.15. So you can choose one or the other. Maybe if you need to go to your church, you can come to the earlier service there at Bayside. Going to be a great time. We're going to be talking about presidents' politics and prophecy and how presidents making political decisions set prophecy and the scenario found in God's Word to unfold and in the near future. That's Bayside Baptist Church. Come join us. Right now, though, we're going to go to the second most sacred city in all of Judaism. We're talking about Hebron. You may pronounce it Hebron, H-E-B-R-O-N. In the Hebrew, it's pronounced Hebron, the B having a V sound. 
and the former spokesperson for that particular Jewish community, in fact, it's the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world, is David Wilder, longtime friend and longtime broadcast partner with us. David, I was noticing in the Jerusalem Post, I believe it was, there was an article that one of the Israeli cabinet members had said it has happened. Now Israel has more Jews, more Jewish population in Israel itself, more than the United States Jewish population. As I remember, about 6.6 million Jews living in Israel and in the United States, 5.7. This is a change. I can remember the very first time I came over uh, back in the early 80s when I got into Israel. They only had about 3.7 or 8 million Jews there. There were more than that in New York City alone not including all the other major Jewish communities across the United States. This is great because this is exactly what God wants, is it not? Oh, definitely. You know, the, I was thinking about it after I saw that article, and you know, it has, a, it has an upside and it has a downside. It has an upside because, of course, we really want more people to come live here in Israel. We want the Jewish community to continue to, to grow. It's growing because people are coming to live here from all over the world, and it's also growing because we have a very high birth rate. On the other hand, there's a downside. You know, what's happening to the American Jewish community? And the major issue there is, uh, is not that they're all leaving to come here, but there's a tremendous amount of assimilation, and people are forgetting that they're Jews. And that is, uh, of course, something that's, that's negative. We prefer that the Jewish identity remain. Uh, and with that Jewish identity, then people would come to live here. Yes, absolutely. For those who may not be familiar with that term, give us a brief definition of uh, the Jewish assimilation. Uh, assimilation, look, it's sort of like a teenager who has an identity crisis. He doesn't or she doesn't know exactly what they are and who they are and, and, and where they want to go and, and what direction they want to go in. And sometimes they sort of lose themselves until they come out of it. And that's what tends to happen with many people in the Jewish community. They tend to forget who they are and what they are and, and what they're supposed to be doing in the world. Uh, there's a lot of intermarriage. And people, if they don't have anything to grasp upon in their Judaism, they don't understand what Judaism is and what it can provide for them and, and for everybody else in the world, then they just sort of lose it. And that is one of the reasons of, for the decreased Jewish population in the United States today. One of the statements that is made about people living in the diaspora, and that would be the diaspora defined as Jews living around the world, but not in the state of Israel. And then ultimately, they make a decision to immigrate to Israel, and that's called Aliyah. Definitely that word in the Hebrew means go up to Jerusalem, but now applied to immigrating and ultimately going up to Jerusalem. Now, you did that. You were American-born, and you did make a decision to make Aliyah and come to Israel. Tell me, just give me a little kind of a testimony here. When did you do that, and why did you do that? Well, I came to Israel in 1974 when I was in university for a, a one-year program. I spent that year in, in Jerusalem at Hebrew University. I had no intentions of coming to live here. It was a year program, and I planned to go back to the States, graduate, and go to law school. Uh, and for whatever reason, that year sort of changed my life. And I did go back to the States, uh, and I, in the next year I graduated. 
a month after I graduated, I came back to Israel, and basically I stayed here. Why did I do that? I came to understand the the necessity for Jews to live in the land of Israel, to live in the state of Israel. Uh, the Jewish people were created to live here in in Israel, and as I, I started to become a little closer to, to Jewish religion, to uh, observant Judaism, and being here and understanding the, the significance and importance of Israel, I realized that if you believe in something, then you shouldn't just talk about it, you should do something about it. And if I thought that it was important for Jews to come to Israel, I shouldn't stay in the United States and talk about it, I should do it. So that's what I did. That was well over 40 years ago. Wow, that is an interesting story and a a reason for making Aliyah. Now, you had the opportunity to choose any of the communities there in Israel, Haifa and Tel Aviv on the coast, Jerusalem, the center part of the state, most sacred piece of real estate on the entire earth and in all of creation for the Jewish people. But you chose the second most sacred piece of real estate, a key community, the oldest Jewish community, you chose Hebron to live with your family. Why did you do that? Well, uh, very similar kinds of reasons. My wife and I got married in 1979. We lived in and around Jerusalem at that time. I was studying in a yeshiva and a Torah academy then in Jerusalem, and that was just during the the time that uh, the Camp David Accords were signed between Israel and Egypt, between Menachem Begin, who was then the Prime Minister and the President then of, of Egypt, uh, Anwar Sadat, uh, in which uh, communities in the Sinai, Jewish communities in the Sinai, were basically uprooted and people people uh, evicted from their homes, and that that land was given to the Egyptians. And they were talking about the next stage in that kind of uh, process were the, uh, were, was Judea, Samaria, and Gaza. And we, we of course, opposed that. And I, I felt that my wife also, that one of the, the most important things, the significant things that we could do to contribute would be to uh, live in one of those places. And so we started to look around. We found a very inexpensive apartment in uh, Kiryat Arba, which is right outside of the city of Hebron. So we moved there. That was back in June of 1981. We lived there for 17 years. I started working here in Hebron itself in 1994. And a few years later, there was an apartment vacant here. And I said to my wife, you know, let's go down and and live in Hebron. We thought about it, and I was actually negotiating with the uh, uh, people here for kinds of conditions that I wanted. And and, uh, just at the end of August... In uh, 1998, there was a terrorist attack here in Hebron, and a 60-year-old rabbi was murdered. And the next uh, morning I went home, and I said to my wife, that's it, we're moving down there. That's our response. Uh, The Arabs are killing Jews because they want us to leave. Uh, The best response to that is to go live there. So uh, exactly a week later, on September 1st, we moved from Kiryat Arba down into the city of Hebron. And we've been living here now for the past 20 years. And you are a key leader of Hebron. You may not have such a title as mayor or anything like that, but you are key. You bring so many people in. You introduce them. I can remember when I was doing television with Day of Discovery. We came in a number of times. You know the archaeological sites there. You know the history of the city of Hebron dating back all the way to the time of Abraham, the patriarch, some 4,000 years ago. 
I understand that God's word really is commending all Jews to move to Israel ultimately. Would you agree with that? And how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree with that. The reason, you know, when we talk about in the five books of Moses in the Torah, the second book is that of Exodus. The Jews were taken out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, and the primary reason for that was to bring them to the land of Israel. There had been a covenant made with patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to bring the Jews back into the land of Israel, and this is where we belong. This is our home. This is our homeland. This is our home. Uh, this is definitely where Jews should be. Uh, we're seeing a, a continued growth of the Jewish population here, uh, and I have no doubt that in the coming years, in the coming decades, we'll see a continued growth. People will continue to come here, and I, I think the time isn't too far away when that article uh, that we'll see in, in the press won't just be that there are more Jews in Israel than the United States, but we'll very soon see that a majority of Jews in the world live in Israel as opposed to in the diaspora. Uh, that will, of course, be a very important uh, turning point in our history. I hope that I, I'm privileged to live to see that day. Yeah, and me too. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it as well. I enjoyed that personal testimony, David. You're just a great friend of us here and a great broadcast partner as well, and I appreciate you just being able to let us be a little bit personal with you and find out some of that testimony. It's encouraging, and of course it goes along with the fact that more Jews now living in Israel than living in the United States. David, thank you so much for allowing me to chat with you today. We'll do it again real soon. Thanks, Jimmy. Shalom, shalom. Very important conversation with David Wilder from Hebron, second most important city as it relates to the spiritual activities of the Jewish people, Jerusalem number one, Hebron number two, and of course Hebron, uh, the oldest Jewish community in the history of the world, and now more Jews living in Israel than even in the United States. That's going to continue until the return of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Right now, though, we're going to change our focus to another region of the world, the European Union, where John Rood will tell us what's happening and update on that part of the world. He's lived there in that region for a number, over 30 years, and he knows that particular location on this earth, like the back of his hand, that is key when he comes to the broadcast table to help us understand what is going on. John, glad to have you. And let me just talk about the visit to Israel by Prince William, which actually, as we remind everybody, was the first of the royal family to visit the state of Israel in the entire 70-year history of the nation. There has not been a member of the royal family to come, but for the 70th birthday, Prince William shows up. Now, he went back to England. He made this statement. He's dedicated for a Middle East peace. That means a resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. John, does he give any indication of indeed how he hopes to make that happen? Prince William has come out with sort of appears to be a type of flip on the entire trip. We have to realize, of course, Prince William, he, he is a very experienced diplomat. Uh, he's actually made about 45 official overseas visits. And so something like this is very uh, distinct, very deliberate, when the first ever 
member of the British royal family makes an official visit to Israel. So now that the um, tour is complete, some of the quotes have come out from reputable sources. Prince William has said UK-Israel ties have never been stronger, and this is a, a start of something new. So it appears to be very deliberate that he is expressing good uh, intentions for a lasting peace in the region, and indeed it certainly does appear to be something new, since it is, as you say, the very first visit that's official from a royal family member. Jimmy, I'm sure you've heard of a book that's been out sometime, The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, which makes a very uh, compelling argument for Prince Charles being the Antichrist. Very lengthy book. It's basically based on symbolism and secret societies and so forth. Just a side issue there, but it's actually more profitable to identify Antichrist spirit, like we see in 1 John 2. There's many Antichrists. That's how we know it's the last day, the last time. The identification of the Antichrist is a difficult matter, but being aware of Antichrist spirit, this is a highly biblical issue. Yeah, it certainly is, and just reminding everybody, when you go to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, that's the first appearance or presentation of the Antichrist, he's referred to as the little horn there in verse 8 indicating that indeed the Antichrist will come out of what we consider to be the revival of the Roman Empire. Uh, But is it uh, Prince Charles or Prince William? I've heard Prince Charles. I've heard Prince William. In fact, I got an email the other day from one of our listeners who thinks and wants to continually kind of jag at me saying, hey, it's Prince William. I'm sure of that. Well, have to wait. In fact, I'm going to be out of here before he appears, and <laughs> John, you will too. Well, that's my sentiments exactly. Yes, that's it. We'll be in the heavenlies at that time. Well, a part of that Antichrist spirit that you're talking about from First John, uh, that would be made manifest in anti-Semitism across the world. And it's ironic, it seems, that the leaders of Germany are ready to fight anti-Semitism in their schools with a new team, and the term of school coming up, quite interesting, they're going to the lower grades in the schools to attack this anti-Semitism. That's a good, good move, I believe, and what are your thoughts and what's the latest on it? Yes, in fact, uh, Germany has quite a bit of stance take issue with anti-Semitism, of course. Jewish population in Germany has risen in recent decades, and there are actually quite established reports about anti-Semitic incidents, etc. Just last year, there are nearly 1,000 incidents from this German report. So they're very, very concerned about it. In 2014, in, in Brussels, the Jewish Museum was attacked, killing four people. So they want to build an awareness, and uh, starting at the schools is how they would like to accomplish this. So they're actually incorporating 170 experts to go into the schools to start the educational process. People are not as aware, of course, of the Holocaust as they should be in Europe. Uh, Germany has sensed a responsibility through all the years, and they do want to do their part. But it is a growing trend of anti-Semitism, so there are concerted efforts to deal with it. 
Right. I think that would be a model for even here in America. There's a rise in anti-Semitism, not only particularly in the high school or middle school periods of time, but especially in the college arena. This would be a good place to start destroying the the thought of anti-Semitism and why it's totally anti-biblical, anti-God. Well, let's stay in Germany just a moment. German intelligence saying Iran wants to expand their weapons into a nuclear arsenal. I guess this would be part of the negotiations to try to allow the European Union to stay as a member and the team for the Iranian nuclear deal. The German intelligence has actually published a report. I am not certain how it became public news, but it's simply another sign that uh, Iran has never stopped its nuclear weapons intentions. We all know that the Iran deal is classified as a flawed deal, but most governments were going along saying that it had to have a flawed deal is better than no deal. I'm not so certain of that. But this uh, recently released German intelligence report is basically saying that Iran, along with North Korea, Syria, and Pakistan, are all taking specific steps to acquire weapons of mass destruction and corresponding missile delivery systems. And it's interesting that this report, which was based in Bavaria, actually documents efforts by Iran to purchase illegal material and technology directly from German companies. So here again, it's just another proof of their intentions. Will the EU back up and face facts on this? The evidence is really mounting. Yes, it certainly is. Just a quick brief answer, and I want to go into this more next week when we come back together. Uh, But uh, I sent you an article that was entitled, Europe, colon, The vision is an Islamic state. Now, that's the desire of all of these immigrants who are radical Islamists coming into Europe, is it not? Europe has a real problem with migration, uh, particularly from Muslim countries, and this is actually the stress that could very well bring down Chancellor Merkel's government, as we know, that just barely survived last weekend at the EU summit. So there actually is a documentary series called False Identity, which speaks of an undercover reporter and, you know, is giving information on the mindset. Uh, Interesting enough, their conclusion was the biggest revelations in this entire documentary series was dealing with the United States. So there is quite a movement to bring in uh, Sharia law and the we see that Muslims are becoming more religious. They're actually secular Muslims that come and immigrate to the European Union, and they become more religious. So, again, a a trend to identify. Uh, A poll just a few years back said 43% of British Muslims believe that parts of the Islamic legal system should replace British law. So uh, there's a lot of concern about that in The vision, as stated, is for an Islamic state, and they're willing to take time to do it slowly, stealthy. That's been the process, uh, much of it through demographics in various levels of influence. And that certainly is a prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. The man helping us to understand and then to update what's happening in the European Union, John Rood, a broadcast partner 
who comes this way to this broadcast table every single week. John, thank you so much, my good friend. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Look forward to it. Very important report from John Rood, updating information on the European Union, which is a key region of the world as it relates to Bible prophecy. Now, here comes Jim Jr. to the broadcast table. Hey, Jim, you've got a question from one of our listeners, a prophecy question. We're thrilled to be able to answer the question. What's the question? And I'll try to give the answer. Janelle sends in a question, and this has to do at the rapture of the church. How will Jewish people react when the rapture takes place? Also, will we know when the rapture comes, even if and when we are sound asleep? Hey, hey, look, when we're asleep, when he shouts, man, we're out of here. We're leaving this place, going to the heavenlies. It'll be a a rude awakening, but only for a second or two, a split second, because we're going to be in his presence. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed to go to be with him. Now back to the uh, question that Janelle asked first. How will Jewish people react when the rapture takes place? Just like everybody else, Janelle, on this earth. Many of them are going to be totally surprised that somehow there's a group of people that have disappeared. There's going to be those who will come along and try to explain it away. There's going to be a part of the society who says, hey, those Christians are finally out of here. Boy, they were the ones causing all the problem. Praise God, they are out of here. Well, the rapture of the church is going to be difficult for many to explain away and really go differently than what the Bible is teaching. But there will be some Jews who have heard. For example, I've had Jewish leaders, Jewish rabbis, mm-hmm. talk to me and make the statement. Well, he, I, one of them I remember very distinctly who said, your eschatology is different than my eschatology. <laughs> now, he knew the terminology. He has an idea of what is going to happen in the future as it relates to Christians. But uh, they're still going to have to explain it away. Many of them will realize, hey, wait a minute. What Jimmy and Jimmy were talking about is absolutely true. There was a rapture to happen. The Christians are gone. Maybe we'd better start paying attention to what that book has to say. But uh, it's going to be an interesting time for those left behind when the rapture does take place. Do you think that uh, some of them will recognize uh, and uh, know that what has happened has happened and they might start turning to God's Word to figure out what happens next? Jim, I would have to speculate on that. It'd be sanctified speculation. Mm -hmm. Uh, No text in the Scriptures tells us that they're going to immediately start to turn. But what was going to take place after the rapture of the church, Revelation chapter 20, verse 3 and following, two witnesses will stand on the Temple Mount, the city of Jerusalem. They will preach for a a three-and-a-half-year period of time. They will be controlling what happens. They can stop it from raining in the sky. They can bring plagues upon the earth. It's unbelievable. They'll be able to call fire out of heaven. These two witnesses, they're in Jerusalem. First results of these two witnesses will be 144,000 male virgin Jews coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior. That's Revelation chapter 7, verses 4 to 8. And verse 9 of Revelation 7 says a multitude, a multitude, I don't know exactly what that number might be, but a multitude that no man can number will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so during that tribulation period, indeed, there will be people recognizing what has happened. They'll hear the gospel. 
The gospel of the kingdom is what these two witnesses will preach from Jerusalem, and the 144,000 male virgin Jews will travel around the world, and in a seven-year period of time, every single person on earth will hear the gospel of the kingdom. So uh, they might recognize what happened at the rapture of the church, but for sure they're going to hear the gospel of the kingdom and have the opportunity to turn to Christ as their Lord and Savior. <laughs> Tony sends in a question. says, I don't see anything in the Word of God that predicts any event to take place before the rapture of the church. Do you concur, or are there things that must take place prior to the rapture? Tony, absolutely nothing has to happen before the rapture of the church. That is the next event on God's calendar of activities. When Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, the trumpet of God sounds, and we're caught out of here to be with him in the heavenlies. What helps me to get excited about that is as I look at the end-of-time scenario that's found in God's Word and then compare what God's Word says, and you use that first. That's the first priority, what God's Word says, and then look at current events. On our radio broadcast, all of our broadcasts, we talk about current events in light of biblical prophecy. Remember the priority. What's the prophetic scenario found in God's Word? And then what kind of light does that shed on any current event that may be unfolding? As I look at those, Tony, I want to tell you something. Everything I see gives indication that the rapture, that next event, could happen at any moment. Not a thing has to happen before it, Tony. The rapture is the next event. And then all the prophecies that we talk about on this broadcast, when Jim or I are preaching at churches, whatever, all of those things happen after the rapture of the church. The rapture is next. You're right on target, buddy. Appreciate you thinking that way, and go tell other people that's the case as well. That was a terrific question. If you have a question, send it in to our website, prophecytoday.com, and then send it to Jim Jr. Dot prophecytoday.com. He'll get it. We'll get it on the air and try to answer your question. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, David James is standing by. We'll talk about the abortion issue. Then I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. This is the third half hour. Now, we need 90 minutes in order to be able to make presentation of all the current events happening around the world and then getting the information, insight, details behind all these headlines from our broadcast partners. If you missed any of them, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can Listen to these broadcast partners and tell a friend about what you heard. Hey, my poll question is on my website. It's on the home page, left-hand column, if you'll scroll down. Here's the question. With the news that there are now more Jews in Israel than in the United States, does this move the world closer to what Bible prophecy calls for in the end time? That's my poll question. It's located on the home page of my website, prophecytoday.com, on the left-hand column if you scroll down. I want to remind you that Judy and I will be at the Bayside Baptist Church, Harrison, Tennessee. 
We'd love to have you come and join us. 9 a.m. one service, 11.15 the other service. Love to have you be a part of it. And just put this on your calendar for December 11 to 13 this year, the School of Prophets Conference. I'll be teaching prophecy through the entire Bible. We go to another 20-some books to see where prophecy is. David James, a very practical study, going to teach you how to use PowerPoint to teach the prophetic and the regular Word of God as well. So get involved in our School of Prophets conference coming up December 11 through 13. We now bring to these microphones David James. He's the man I have a conversation with each and every week. We try to focus on an issue of much concern, especially to the body of Christ. We need to have a biblical understanding of all of the issues that we discuss at this time slot on Prophecy Today each weekend, and then during the week on the 15-minute broadcast that is posted actually at my website, prophecytoday.com. You can go there and listen to what David and I have to talk about on what we call Prophecy Today Intelligence Briefing. So we come at you twice a week trying to get this information into your thinking and biblically understanding how to do your daily walk with the Lord. David, this week we catch you getting ready to go to Romania for a week of training the leadership of a ministry based there in that country. That's right. I'll be heading out very shortly. It'll be my third year in a row to work with this particular ministry. It's called Life Romania. Uh, Life Romania is headed up by a man named Julian Avramescu, who is Romanian. And once again, I'll be teaching God's plan through the ages. So I'm in the middle of trying to put the Romanian language into my hundreds of PowerPoint (laughs) slides so that they can understand it. And then uh, after that, I'll be heading to Israel for four days for studying the history and preparation for my first trip with Jimmy Jr. and maybe Rick in November as I helped co-lead a trip. So I'm looking forward to all that. And that's one of the eight trips that Prophecy Today will be having for those of you who would like to visit the land of the Bible. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. You'll get the dates, the exact dates they're going to be there in November, what the cost will be, what the itinerary will be, and David on his special training will be up and ready come November. That's a great ministry outreach as well. This week, David, there were several articles that came out because of the controversy surrounding an upcoming movie which concerns the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision by the United States Supreme Court. Well, that's right, and uh, I've read several different articles. One I happened to focus on was on the Fox News Insider, and that article was based upon an interview on Fox and Friends by Angelie Earhart, who interviewed Dr. Alveda King, who is the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King, and she is the executive producer of this new uh, Roe versus Wade film, and it's a pro-life film, and one of the things that she points out is that It's trying to pull the curtain back on what really happened and expose a lot of the lies and deception that was involved and the misunderstandings that led to this dramatic Supreme Court decision in 1973. And uh, they're filming in the area of New Orleans, and as various uh, casts have become familiar with what is actually in the script, and it's pro-life 
direction as well as some of the crew members. Some of them have quit, and in other cases, they've actually been denied filming locations and things like this. So it's embroiled in controversy right now. Yeah, and that's very interesting. The executive producer, that's the head person, Dr. Alvida King, and she is the niece of the man, Dr. Martin Luther King. Very interesting development. But I understand, David, there will be a number of fairly well-known actors who are working on this movie as well. That's true, and depending on what generation you're from, some of our listeners may recognize some names and not others. They would include John Boyd, a very well-known and much-awarded actor, Stacey Dash, who has been on television as well as a political commentator uh, on Fox News. Kelsey Grammer's daughter will be in it. There are others such as uh, Robert Davey, uh, Joey Lawrence, Corbin Burnson, he's fairly well-known, and John Schneider, he is also fairly well-known. And what I found in my research is that actually not all of the cast, maybe about only half the cast, are actually pro-life, but still they apparently feel that there is a message that, that needs to get out. So it'll be interesting to see how this all develops. Boy, I'm waiting to see this film myself. It sounds very exciting. David, could you give us a little bit more of the background on the Roe versus Wade decision and Norma McCorvey, who was actually the plaintiff in the case, and also what have been the ultimate consequences of that ruling? Well, it goes back to 1970, and there was a lawyer, maybe a couple of lawyers, who were looking for someone to advance the case of a pro-abortion movement. And so they found Norma McCorvey, who later became known as Jane Roe in this Roe versus Wade decision. She was 21 years old. She already had had one child with a second child on the way. And in fact, the lawyers would not allow her to get an abortion because they needed to have someone who was wanting to have an abortion. And so she became a political pawn in this. In 1973, the decision was written by Justice Harry Blackman. He established the constitutional right to terminate a pregnancy is guaranteed under the right of privacy. So they did under right of privacy, which is a very much a stretch in my understanding of the Constitution. I can't imagine that the founders would have ever anticipated something like that based upon the the right to privacy clause. But later, McCorvey, who actually never, ever ended up having an abortion and had three daughters, she later became a face of the right to a life movement. So she, for decades, advocated for pro-life, which a lot of people don't know, and she died last year, a year before, I believe. And then as far as the results, there's a website called numberofabortions.com, and it actually has abortion counters. And so today, in the United States, there will be over 1,200 abortions. Mm. Can you imagine? Mm. Uh, There have been over 60 million abortions since in the United States alone since 1973. And when you average that out, there are nearly 500,000 abortions in the United States every year. What a tragic result of that decision. Absolutely. David, last week we discussed the upcoming nomination of the next Supreme Court justice and the Roe versus Wade decision has been center stage in the news once again because of this. That's true, and, you know, the Democrats are accusing the Republicans of having a litmus test 
for this next Supreme Court justice, uh, namely wanting to overturn Roe versus Wade. And of course, President Trump had a list of about 25 uh, potential candidates so that he's narrowed down, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But as a conservative justice, it's not simply a matter of wanting to overturn Roe v. Wade, even though these may be largely pro-life justices. But this is actually a, a two-edged sword for the Democrats, because now, even though they're saying they shouldn't have a litmus test, they have their own litmus test, and that is that someone will not stand in the way of an overturning of Roe v. Wade. However, if it is a constitutional issue and Roe v. Wade cannot be based upon sound constitutional law, then in fact it should be overturned. And the fact is, I don't think there should be a litmus test on either side, but it comes down to a radical philosophical divide between liberal and conservative justices. I would say that liberal judges tend, justices tend to be ideologues who promote an agenda and see the Constitution as a living document whose meaning can evolve over time, while conservative justices tend to be originalists, as I, we talked about last week, and that is they interpret the Constitution based upon its original tent by, intent by the original framers of that document. Well, this last week, President Trump interviewed six potential nominees. I think they included those we talked about last week, David. You know, the president will be announcing his pick on Monday evening, I think, at 9 o'clock. And, of course, there is speculation concerning the one or two front runners. What do we know about them? Well, according to Bloomberg, in an article that they posted late Thursday evening, they recorded Trump having said this on Air Force One as he was traveling to Montana for a rally there. He said, I think I have it down to four people, and I think of the four people, I have it down to three or two, and I think they're all outstanding. The three top names that seem to be in the media right now are uh, a lady named uh, Amy Barrett and then two men, Brett Kavanaugh and Raymond Kethledge. And most people seem to think that the very top front runner would be Kavanaugh. He's uh, 53 years old, which means if he is selected, he will have decades of influence uh, on the court. He's a judge at the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, for the District of Columbia and has a background in politics. He was nominated to the D.C. By George Bush. He was Bush's White House uh, staff secretary and worked for Bush during the 2000 Florida vote. And so he's a very qualified man who's a graduate of uh, Yale Law School. It'll be interesting to see what happens on Monday evening. And do you think that the outside chance may go to the woman? I know there are many concerns about her Catholic background and her serving, well, first learning, going to school at Notre Dame and then serving as an instructor there. Any concerns about that among these that uh, want to go after the Supreme Court nominee from President Trump? Well, I think it would certainly be an issue for Democrats because of Roman Catholicism's generally pro-life stance, so that may be a, a strike against her. There's a battle brewing already. It started as soon as Justice Kennedy announced his resignation, so it's going to probably get pretty ugly before it's all over. Although I know we don't need to take the time to persuade most of our listeners that life begins at conception, I still think it might be helpful, though, David, to talk about what you think are a couple of the most important biblical arguments that someone could use to defend this view. Well, I would say one would be the actual incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. God became a man. At what 
point did he become a man? I think I would argue very strongly, and I think it would be very hard to argue against the fact that God became a man at the moment that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived as a virgin. So God became a man at that moment of conception. Then also theologically, we know that we are descended from our parents, body, soul, spirit. God does not place a soul into a body that's already been formed at some point during the pregnancy, but actually we receive our body and soul spirit from our parents at the moment of conception. And then, of course, there's also Psalm 22, 10, which says, I was cast upon you from my birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. So from in the womb, there was a recognition that, recognition that God was God of that person. And then Psalm 139, 13 says, you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Praise the Lord for that. Each and every one of us, fearfully and wonderfully made. Hallelujah for that Psalm, Psalm 139. David, thank you so much. Great insight given to us. And, of course, that comes from your much study and preparation, going to the sources and doing your research. Appreciate it so much. We'll be praying for you as you go to Romania and give our love to those there and have a great ministry. And we'll talk to you, I guess, from Romania next time on when we get together for a, a conversation. I look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks so much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to open up the Bible. Realizing what I talked with my broadcast partners about, we're going to take a look at the book and see how what they gave us, their reports, as it relates to the prophetic scenario in God's Word. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you.
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Of course, we precede that opportunity to study the Word of God on current events by having our broadcast partners come to this broadcast table. They're on top of all the news that's happening around the world. They give us great reports, key information for each and every one of us who are students of Bible prophecy, or actually who need to be students of Bible prophecy, so you can understand the times in which we are living and the urgency of the moment. If you missed any of the reports from my broadcast partners, go to prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you'll find them all archived for you to be able to listen to and to pass along the information to your friend so they can get the information from these guys as well. Now, let me take a moment, if you will, to review the news, and then I want to give you my prophetic perspective on what these men talk to us about our broadcast partners' reports. Ken Timmerman talked about the Vladimir Putin meeting, not only with the President of the United States, but before that, he'll have a meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel and King Abdullah of Jordan. Then he will go to the table with President Trump. Very interesting how these world leaders are coming together, focused basically on one area of the world, and we're talking about the Middle East. Vladimir Putin, if you think about it, has to be a key player for the end times. If you look at the scriptures, Ezekiel chapter 38, and in verse 2 it says, And Gog in the land of Magog. Now, Russia is significant there because Russia would be the biblical name known there in that passage as Magog. Gog in the land would be the political leader, the person involved before you get to the real estate. There's going to be an alignment of nations in the last days, and they're all going to focus on destroying the Jewish state of Israel. This is key as you understand the presence of Russia in Syria. Syria will be the first nation to make a move to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That's Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. They will then start everything in this alignment coming together very quickly to destroy the Jewish state. And I would have to tell you that in the first six months of the tribulation period, that is when this battle is going to take place. It's referred to as the Battle of Magog. It takes place in the first six months because when the tribulation begins, and that will happen when the Antichrist confirms a peace treaty, that starts the clock ticking on the seven-year period of time. But the Antichrist who does that has to be back in Rome, Italy. That's Revelation chapter 17. For the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist is a key player there in Rome. This is all found in the 17th chapter of the book of Revelation, when this one-world religiosity is set in place. So therefore, it can only take about six months for the Antichrist to be away from Rome. He'll be in the Middle East. He'll be a part of this alignment of the nations. And then he goes back to Rome to fulfill the prophecies found in the book of Revelation. That's why Ken's report was key as we had a conversation a moment ago. 
David Dolan, longtime journalist in the Middle East, has been looking at events unfolding there. He brought out very important information to us. Israelis now do not have much hope for the peace plan put forth by Donald Trump. Jared Kushner is traveling throughout the Middle East, meeting with many of the Arab and Islamic leaders, trying to bring together a consensus that they'll allow the Jewish state to remain where it is, right in the middle of the Middle East, and have them live in coexistence with all of their Arab Islamic neighbors. Now, that's not going to happen. I can tell you that because I read the last chapter. I read the prophetic word of God, and this alignment of nations will come against Israel. It's a time when they're talking about peace in the Middle East. What is Jared Kushner doing? He's trying to bring together a peace plan that everybody will accept in the Middle East. I can tell you that will happen, and it's going to happen according to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, when there will be a confirmation of the peace treaty starting the clock to tick on the tribulation period. Uh, David Wilder and I had a conversation. More Jews in Israel than there are in the United States today. 6.6 million Jews in Israel, 5.7 in the United States. About another 4 million Jews around the world. But the Bible calls for in Ezekiel chapter 36 and chapter 37, all Jews to make Aliyah. In other words, that means to immigrate into the land that God has promised and now has given to the Jewish people. Very important conversation with David Wilder. John Rood covered the European Union for us. Prince William, after his visit to Israel, the first of the royal family to do that in the 70-year history of the Jewish state of Israel, Prince William saying he will do everything he can to bring peace to the Middle East. Well, that's going to be the role of the Antichrist, and don't get me wrong, I did not say Prince William nor Prince Charles would be the Antichrist. I'm just simply saying that's the scenario that God's prophetic word calls for. Great time in Prophecy Q&A with Jim Jr. and the letter from one of our listeners and David James and his discussion about the abortion issue key to our understanding as a Christian as to what God's Word says about this murderous activity. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and you'll be able to hear exactly what they said in light of how I gave you that review and then a prophetic perspective on the news. You'll have to admit, once I gave you the prophetic perspective of what's happening in our world you had to stop for a moment and realize, well, all of those prophecies are going to be fulfilled after the rapture of the church. That is the case, according to Daniel, Ezekiel, and in particular, the book of Revelation, revealed in 16 chapters, chapters 4 through 19 in the book of Revelation. Now, that means the rapture is the next event in God's calendar of activities that will take place. I can say this for sure, having rehearsed all of these items from our broadcast partners today. The rapture could happen, actually, at any moment. And having said that, there's really nothing else for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 